Podcast Studios. This, this is the award-winning After 9 with Scott and Kat. Powered by Tony Johal, broker at Remax Twin City. Your home sold guaranteed or he'll buy it. Hey now, what's up everybody? Welcome to another episode of After 9. Sorry it was late yesterday, by the way. We uh, switched platforms. That's just the place you upload the podcast to, but we're on a new one, which should, in theory, make things more reliable. It just didn't yesterday, but it was the transition day. It was moving day, if you will. Ah, moving day. We're going to talk about moving day in just a few, because this is one of my favorite times of year, Cat, when all the college and university students try and strap a love seat onto the top of their little four-door hatchback sedan and move it to a res and then get settled in for their new life in university. And there's like doors that are open because they can't fit the mini fridge in. And oh, it's a goddamn mess, but I love it. I love, love, love it. So that is coming up on this episode of After Nine. First off, and I think you might have a unique perspective on it. What the hell is going on with our hospitals? How are there so many hospitals with emergency rooms closing? Because I, I'd heard stories of some hospitals, mainly in southwestern Ontario, a couple weeks ago, that were going to close for certain hours. And I thought, well, that's not ideal, but people could reroute to another hospital. Again, not ideal. But if we're in a bit of a staffing crunch, then we should probably come up with a contingency. Mm-hmm. Now it seems like, it was a Toronto General the other day? Said their ICU, all three ICUs were at full capacity. How did we make it through COVID? But now when COVID is down to basically a lull, now we're facing all these staff shortages. I can't speak for those particular hospitals. But what I can say is I know that before the pandemic, we did have shortages in the ICU, especially. ICUs were at capacity in a lot of cases. And patients were transferred constantly to other hospitals. It's not a new thing. It's a problem that should have been dealt with, though, when you think about it, because it has been an issue for years. The the emergency room stuff, that's scary stuff to me. Um, I do wonder if it's kind of like a mixed bag of everything, like uh, people getting out of healthcare. We've heard of that happening, and I understand why. Like, I understand. After a pandemic, you're probably exhausted. You feel like, is this what I want to do? And I know a lot of people left the industry. There's also those who got let go. Uh, during the pandemic and just never came back. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of a lot of factors I think to the reasons why, but also there's still illness going around. And people get sick and then they can't work. It's quite possible that that is also a factor in it. Hmm. Staff, there's staff shortages everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it does seem like there is staff shortages everywhere. When it comes to healthcare in particular, uh, let me run a couple of things by you and and tell me what you think if this could be contributing to the problem. There's still still a ton of family doctors that are not seeing patients. Does that drive people to the emergency room because they want to see an actual person? Are, are people saying, you know what? Fuck my doctor. I'm just going to go to the hospital and, yes. and there they, I can get my x-rays done and this, that yes. and the other thing. Because yes. I have to think that has a lot to do with it. These reckless family doctors that still will not see patients. It's crazy to me. I, I mean, there's that. And there's also doctors who just straight up have to, the, their wait list is too long. Or they'll, you'll tell them what you think the problem is. And then, yeah, they'll, they'll tell you exactly what you said. Uh, it's not worth you coming in for it. Uh, monitor it and hope for the best. And if you know or you feel like in your gut, like something is not right. I have to physically see somebody. That's when it happens. Yeah. I spoke to my family doctor at 1045 on a Thursday night a couple of weeks ago because that was the only phone appointment I could get. 1045 p.m. Talking to my doctor. He was in the car when he called me, likely going up to the cottage. 
And his diagnosis was based purely off of not seeing my actual injury, just looking at an x-ray and an ultrasound. And his uh, conclusion was, I should put a tensor bandage on it for two weeks, and then it should be back to normal. In reality, (laughs) it's a 14-year injury that I've already been told by two different doctors requires surgery. So, you know, people are not getting the prime health care that they're led to believe that we have in so-called the world's greatest healthcare system. <laughs> Is that what he said about your ankle? Yeah. After that? He said it was a... St- a tensor bandage? He said it's a strained ankle. You need to put a tensor bandage on it for two years. Or sorry, for two weeks. In reality, I injured it 14 years ago and doctors have already told me I have to have surgery on it. There's too much scar tissue. There's too much damage to the ligaments. I need surgery to repair it. This guy says a tensor bandage for two weeks and I'll be fine. But I mean, he would probably know that if he saw me, if he actually felt the injury, if he uh, asked some questions. But no, it was just a simple go get an x-ray and then a phone call at quarter to 11 before a long weekend. This was back before Canada Day. So I'm, I'm thinking that the family doctor's not seeing people has something to do with it. Is there also possibly, maybe, because it's an all-hands-on-deck kind of effort there in the healthcare industry to get rid of the bill that caps the wage increase at 1% every year. Is any of this manufactured? Is there anything to, maybe they're just being a little... Uh, not as strict as they could be with their staffing. Or maybe they're giving out vacations that they probably shouldn't be approving right now. Is there anything to that? Hmm. Yeah. I I wonder about these hospital admins all the time because it seems like all they do is play political games while they make massive salaries to be the CEO of a hospital. I'm wondering if there's anything to do with that. I don't... One thing I don't buy is the amount of people leaving. They say there's people leaving the industry mm-hmm. like crazy. And I just can't see somebody going to school for that long to get those credentials in the medical field and then just saying, I worked a lot over the last two years. Eh, if they're yeah. not going to give me more than 1%, I quit and just completely change their career. I don't see a lot of people leaving nursing, for example, to go and work in an office. It, it just doesn't seem plausible well, that that many people would be doing it. Sure. It's not always just that, though. It's not I'm switching careers completely. It's the hospital setting and feeling the pressures that they feel and maybe the disappointment that they feel working in those hospital settings and have worked in those hospital settings for a couple of years. There's a lot of people going to the private practices or perhaps going back to school to, let's say you are a nurse and you decide, you know what, this is the year I'm going to become a nurse practitioner. You know, this is the year I do that. And maybe then I'll be able to join a family health care team uh, instead. It's, it's probably le- more so leaving the hospital setting, not necessarily leaving the industry as a whole. Got it. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I just don't understand how it got this bad. And the government doesn't exactly seem like they're in a huge rush to fix it. I know the health minister, Sylvia Jones, sat down yesterday and did a couple of interviews where she said things like, yeah, yeah, we're going to try and get some internationally trained nurses, their credentials a little faster. And I thought, well, I mean, it's kind of trying to plug the hole in the Titanic with a, a wine cork. But all right, fine. You guys go ahead and do you. I don't know how many People are out there waiting for credentials, but if it could solve the problem, then they should probably get on that. Yeah. It just, uh, I almost wonder if some of this is political too, because people are looking at the shambles that the system is in right now and they're saying things like, well, you know, maybe a a semi-private system would be the way to go. You know, maybe if I seriously needed to get into a hospital and I've got a choice between the public ones that are closed or a private one that I have to pay out of pocket for, I would choose the private one. Maybe this is 
somewhat manufactured to try and create that atmosphere where the government finally could bring in a mix of public and private health care or more so than we already have. I don't know what it is, but I'm with the people who are asking the questions. How the hell did it get this bad now? Mm-hmm. What's different Now, it can't all be fatigue and disappointment that you got a 1% raise instead of a 3% raise. That seems crazy to me, but uh, we'll see how it plays out. The premier is speaking today, not far from where we do our podcast. He'll be in Stratford today, and I'm sure this is going to come up. I'm also sure it's going to come up about the Canadian Union of Public Employees, who yesterday made it public that while they're negotiating their new contract with the province for the end of the month, they would like an annual wage increase of 11.7%. That's a one-time or that's literally annually? Annually, an 11.7% pay increase. This would be early childhood educators, school administration Mm -hmm. workers like the school secretaries and such, bus drivers, custodians, and more. They want 11.7%. And I have to think that if the QP employees want that much, They're probably not that much further ahead or maybe even on par with what the teachers unions are asking for. And that we don't know yet how much of a wage increase they want. Mm -hmm. Now, Doug has said they'll get more than one percent this time around. But I don't think anybody's prepared to fork out a 12 percent increase. Do they maybe are they saying that because the expectation is, okay, we will settle with a six like somewhere in the middle. I mean, aim high for sure. That's definitely a negotiation tactic. That's that's what people do. I I don't know. I have girlfriends that are that are teachers that say this is like this strike is imminent. Like prepare yourselves. It's it's happening. Hmm. It's happening because there's a lot of stubborn people that will see to it that the strike will happen. I don't know, though. That may not be true. I don't know if it's going to be true either. I mean, there's been some talk about maybe this would be the time to declare teachers essential. Maybe this is the time where they actually mandate in the contract that extracurriculars are part of the job. They're not extracurricular for staff. They're only extracurricular for students. And you would be required to do some of those, uh, I don't know. Uh, be on certain committees or coach a team or any of those things that may come up. So I I don't know that uh, that'll actually happen, but the government seems to be insisting that the teachers should be doing extracurriculars and that they should be in class come September. I think it's the 7th is back to school day this year. I believe so. Don't quote me on that. Yeah, I believe the Tuesday is uh, the, oh, it's the 6th. So liars, I know Liars. thank you for correcting that before I got a million DMS. Hey, listen, it matters. We know what you mean. It's after Labor Day. Everybody knows. I'm just thinking that if everybody if this is going to be the contract where everybody gets what they want, uh, maybe it will be a pretty substantial increase. But I have to think it's going to come with a lot of those extras. And at some point, somebody's got to compromise because one thing we cannot allow to happen is the start of the school year to be delayed because of another job action. Something, not even, and, and delay of a school year, like, period, right now. Like, mm-hmm. come on, how much do we need to go through, whether it be uh, the pandemic related or this? Parents don't care. They just want to have their kids in class. And that's what they want, right? Essentially, as taxpayers, we're paying for a service here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and they don't want any disruption there, and you can't blame them for that. They've got to plan every other aspect of their lives around their kids being in school, mm-hmm. and it's just not feasible. I was at a dinner party on Saturday night, and I was with a bunch of teachers, one that had just retired, and a few that are getting pretty close. They've been in the system for quite a while. And they said to me, They don't think a strike is going to happen because they think this time around 
the teachers are flat out going to tell their union we're not walking this time because they understand that it'll be a PR catastrophe and it's probably mainly going to fall on the teachers. Interesting. Interesting. Is I feel like it's can I just say I feel like it's different for different boards? Yeah. Cuz that's not the like that's not the the vibe I got, but it, that's a different board. So I was all with Halton and Peel Region teachers. And I was with Waterloo. Mhm. So I don't know. I don't know. Again, it depends how close you are to the situation. Some people think they're close to the situation, but they're not. Some people are just hearing things, and then that's what they're going by. We've been surprised before. Both ways, by the way, where there, a strike is imminent, and then it just doesn't happen, and vice versa. So, I mean, we'll see. You got to prepare for the worst, I suppose. The worst for me would be a strike. <laughs> me, selfishly. Uh, it's not selfish. I mean, I think everybody want, has a vested interest in but making I, sure yeah. kids are in school, but not also, just parents. I also want fair fair compensation for the people doing very important jobs. And I believe teacher is a very important job. Almost 12%. 11.7%. That's one hell of an annual increase. But hey, if we're going to tie pay increases into the rate of inflation, the rate of inflation is probably going to be in and around 10% very, very soon. Does that mean... Everybody can go to their employer and say, well, it's time to talk about my employment agreement. And going forward with inflation at 10 percent, you should pony up 10 percent. I mean, in a lot of ways, the public sector can pave the way for the private sector. Does it always work out that way? No, no. I think everyone (laughs) understands that. However, no, uh, nothing gets people in the private sector more angry than hearing things like a 12 percent annual pay increase for public sector employees. Uh, It's going to be a contentious August, everybody, unless they can manage to negotiate this thing fairly and and, early and early. (laughs) And well, we're kind of leaving it to the wire here. Sure. Why on earth do contracts expire right before the start of a new school year? That is one of the dumbest things I think I've ever heard. One of the things they should. I don't know if Steve Lecce still listens to this podcast, but one of the things that I will say is, Steve, part of your negotiation here should be that the new contract goes maybe uh, 39 months or maybe it goes 30 months instead of 36 because this having the contract expire in August when the new one needs to begin and school begins in October, sorry, September, it's just not working out. People can't have this kind of uncertainty come August. Are you buying back to school supplies and clothes? I don't know. School's going to start eventually. We just don't know when. I think it's the lack of time that you have, though, for those people uh, that are on the boards, right, during the school year versus the summer when they have time to discuss and negotiate. There's less time to work with when you're, you would assume, when you're working. Oh, I don't think for a second that the people who do the negotiating have ever seen a classroom. They probably haven't. No, no, no. But there's probably, I I would assume there's other stuff to do. (laughs) Am I wrong? Do they just sit around? No, I mean the negotiating teams. They're not teachers. They're union people. Yeah, that's what I mean, though. But you would assume that they would be, that would be their most busy time would be during the school year. But even around a March break. I mean, I don't know. I'm not opposed to it, but I don't really know the full reasons why. Uh, One other thing before we get into some of the more fun stuff is a condo data company is estimating almost 10,000 condo units in the GTA will be delayed this year due to rising mortgage rates. That's down from Urban Nation's original estimate of 35,000 new condo units launching for presale. Wow. The decline, they say, is a sign of an overall market slowdown now extending into the pre-construction market. Mm-hmm. That's what? not the only spot where that's happening, too. What else you got? Well, there's other places that are having the exact same issue that are build up, build up, build up and going, uh-oh. Yeah. I mean, mortgage rates went through the roof. Yeah. There's some people who put a down payment down or a deposit 
and now can't afford what the mortgage would be. Yeah, it's frustrating. But I'm also going to point out here the government at all levels, all three of them have committed to building all kinds of affordable housing. Eh, We're going to build the affordable housing and everybody can have a cheap place to live. Where's the incentive for the home builders to go out and deal directly with buyers and collect deposits and do all the fucking around when they could do their job anyway and just build? That's essentially their job is to build and just take government money to build subsidized housing. I don't know why they would bother trying to plan subdivisions and build high rise towers and get permits and environmental assessments and go through all the shit when the government's just going to stroke them a big check. And we all know the government overpays for everything. And they can just pay them to build other stuff. I, I don't know that there's really a lot of incentive to build new stuff. But let me give you an example from our FM radio show today. We had the uh, federal housing minister in Cambridge yesterday. And he announced that they're building 55 affordable housing units that will be geared towards those low-income tenants and other vulnerable residents, including those with mental health challenges, physical disabilities, and members of the indigenous community. Okay, so there's those that are disadvantaged in our society and they're going to build houses that in theory these people could afford. But are you buying it or are you renting it? Because I have to think you're buying it. Mm -hmm. And if you're buying it, are they going to qualify for mortgages? What's the price point going to be on these? Are we selling these things for like a hundred grand or are we still selling them for closer to market value? Is it just the price point and the size of the units that make it affordable and also make it for all of the everything you just named? I assume that this could come with if you've got a disability of one or the other. I mean, what makes that place different than just a small apartment? You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I I just that whole thing is confusing to me. Like, I don't know how else to say it, but that whole thing is confusing to me. And almost like I feel like it's degrading in a way also. Like, you know what? You disabled, mentally dysfunctional individuals and indigenous they're throwing into that as well. And don't get me wrong, affordable housing for everybody is important, but let's throw you all into one spot. Like, doesn't that seem odd to you? It's um, it's like, I don't know. Something about that just irked me. I don't know what it is, but I just felt like that's really, that made me really uncomfortable. Well, I mean, in the past... And I'll say it because it's kind of the elephant in the room here. People are whispering it quietly. But in the past, low income government housing doesn't exactly turn into nice neighborhoods. No, no, for sure. We're essentially subsidizing ghettos. And that's the thing. And then putting every all of you people. This is what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. What you said that the that they called it. All you people. You you know what? Pat, pat on the head. All you people who we don't know what to do with in society, we're going to clump together and help. And we're helping. Look at us. Ah, likely a lot of like rich white middle-aged men behind it going, ah, we're doing good for all you people. Here's your tiny apartments that you can afford. I just, I don't, I, I, I just, and don't get me wrong. It's not like I have a perfect solution for it, guys. We'll build tiny houses within other communities. Like that's not what I don't know what the solution is. I just when I hear stuff like that, I think if I'm somebody who is unable to work because of um, one reason or another and or low income for one reason or another. And I hear that I'm going, OK, like, thanks. Thanks for the handout and putting us all clumping us all together to create what kind of a community? Like you said, should I be afraid now? You know what I mean? Should I be afraid for my neighborhood because you're clumping me in with a bunch of people? And who are these people? 
Like, yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's a strange thing for me. Well, it's a strange one. At some point in the very near future, both my kids will be university graduates and it will be time for them to start looking for their own place. And I mean, I guess it's nice that there's going to be housing built for people that don't have a huge income. Okay. Maybe we could lump in crippling student debt on top of sure. that as well. Yeah. You know, uh, disposable income is a good way to look at it. So I, I guess in a way it's nice that they're, they're doing that, but... Am I going to want to buy one of these units for one of my kids? Because I, I don't know that I'm going to yeah, want to. You know what I mean? That's exa- exactly. I, I, and I get it. I get the questions. Because like, what are you talking about when you say the way it's worded for me, too? It's just like, what do you mean? Like a bunch of people with mental illness. You'll all live in here. Oh, and you could afford it, too, student. Yeah, come on in. Like did, the way that you worded it makes me feel like these are a bunch of rejects of society. That's what it is. You know, I just don't know. Uh, and, they're, 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 and they're painting it as. Look at us doing something awesome, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know how all this is going to play out or if this is the silver bullet that's going to solve the housing affordability crisis. Uh, certainly more affordable units is good. If they're only available to certain people, that's not as good. And when the new home builders are all taking time off to build these more affordable units because it's an easy and substantial check from the government as opposed to having to deal with schmucks like you and I that'll walk in and put a check down. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what we're going to be getting here. It doesn't seem like we're making any progress when it comes to building up a society and having more units available for everybody that needs a place mm-hmm. to live. There's also some people that just plain can't live in what they're building. We're building a lot of condos and one and two bedroom townhouses and stuff like that. And frankly, that's just not suitable for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Government housing has never had a great reputation. And when we're going to build that much of it, yikes. Hey, I'll wait and see what happens. But I have a feeling we're going to be having a different conversation two years from now about how all this has gone down. Supply issues, by the way, while we're on it, are supply issues still an issue, a problem? Like, well, are, are, are they happening? Because from what I heard from a lot of home builders, there's a lot of pauses on some of these homes mm-hmm. for the supply chain issues. Yeah. Yeah, there are definitely supply chain issues. There's also a lot of people in the natural course of real estate changing hands that might have sold their house, but they saw six months ago that they could have got over a million for it, and now they're down under 800000 mm-hmm. Thank you, Bank of fucking Canada, you losers. And now they're thinking, oh, fuck it, I'm not going to sell then. My own mom was in that situation. She thought about selling while the market was hot. Now the market's cooled down. Which way is it going to go? These interest rates. Can anybody even afford my home now? Can anyone trust anybody to keep anything the same? Yeah. Yeah. There's so much instability and unpredictability that I don't understand what the people that are in charge here don't understand, except clearly they're far too rich to relate to the middle class, and it's sad. There's a thread on Whisper right now. Men from around the world shared their most outrageous reasons for staying in a relationship that has run its course. You interested? Yes. (laughs) Uh, Tell me more. This guy says, the only reason I'm still with my girlfriend is because I don't want to disappoint my grandma. Oh, that's tough. So wait, was when he your family for grandma to die and then he's going to jump ship? Oh, like, yeah. He probably wakes up every morning, rolls over and thinks, ah, grandma can't last much longer. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's tough, though, when your family likes the person you're with, even though you don't like the person you're with. It's it, I'll t- it's it's tough living with someone that you don't want to actually be with. because Like, I don't understand. Rip the Band-Aid off. Tell your family that person wasn't for me. Get over it. 
they'll get used to it. It's going to be awkward. They're going to be like, do I talk to that person still? Especially if this is someone that maybe you're married to for a long time or with for a long time or had kids with. I mean, that whole thing, it's totally awkward. Like, but do, your happiness should be number one to them. Period. The end. And it, prob- it probably will be. I it mean, once they be. get over the initial disappointment, they'll be fine. Yeah. And I, I mean, I do get it because like I'm close with my sister-in-law, for example. And God forbid if anything happened between she and my brother, I'd be like, oh, fuck, who do I stay friends with? You know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I know I get it. I get it. But your happiness should be the key for your family. This guy says, I'm only with my girlfriend because she has an awesome dog. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I hear you, man. I hear you. You could try to share custody after the fact, but that never goes well. It does doesn't. It doesn't go well. Honestly, I'm only with my girlfriend because she's my ride for practice after school. Aw, cute. You know how many people, like, think about the young ones, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Hey, uh, listen, she gets me from A to B. It's just, (laughs) I don't actually like her that much. got a car, you know? This person says, I think the only reason I'm still with my girlfriend is because I'd be really bored if we broke up. Oh my gosh, like a fear of loneliness? Too? Is it a fear of loneliness or a fear of um, the unknown? You don't yeah. know that you'd be lonely. There's a lot of people who probably think, oh, I don't want to be alone. But once they're alone, they fucking love yeah, it. Yeah, you might like it. I-, I was married for a lot of years. And when my marriage ended and it was just me, I... Uh, you felt free? <laughs> I, uh, I felt a lot of things. <laughs> but I, I did actually feel... I, I, my fears were avoided. Let me yeah, put it that way. Yeah. I was worried that I was going to be lonely and, and isolated and all that sort of thing. But no, I actually kind of enjoyed the that feeling. So, mm-hmm. bro, take a chance. Take mm-hmm. a chance. Dump that girl. Agree. Do if something you, for you. If you know you don't want to be with the person and it's just out of fear of loneliness, like you're not in that relationship for any of the right reasons. None whatsoever. This guy says, I'm only with my girlfriend to make her happy. She's never been in a relationship. I don't want to, I don't want it, but she does. Oh, that's a weird one. There's some people though that are in relationships and, and you can tell the other person they're good. They're happy. They're content and they try hard. They'll do everything they have to do to try and make you happy. And even that doesn't make you happy. So you're kind of stuck there because you just don't like the person, but they're trying so hard that you really don't have a good reason to get rid of them. Yeah. Sounds like that's the situation that this guy is in. Yeah. Are these young? I would love to know like age ranges. Me too. Because I'm curious about that because that reminds me a lot of like high school stuff where it's like, oh, they like me so much, but I just don't like them. And I'm just trying to figure out ways to dump, like how I'm going to dump the person. But in the meantime, I'll accept the flowers and I'll enjoy the phone calls and the nice gestures. But it's very high schoolish to me. Like if you're a grown ass adult, I hope that's not your the case. I'm going to read one more. And this one is somewhat diabolical. I'm only with my girlfriend until my ex wants me back or I find another that makes me feel like she did. Here's somebody who should have never gotten into the current relationship because he is not even close to over the last relationship. Wow. Wow. That's another one, too, though. We were talking about boredom. We were talking about loneliness. Mm -hmm. Some people get into relationships just because they can't stand the thought of that. Yeah. Sounds like that's what this guy did. Great thread. Like I said, it is on Whisper if you want to read more. Have you heard the 222 rule? Yeah. We talked about it a bit on our show this morning. 
This is something that also showed up on Reddit and it's circulating a lot. And the more I think about it, the more I think there's something to this. And you actually kind of do this too. Two, two, two is three twos, obviously. The first two is a date night for you and your partner every two weeks. Date night. Is that attainable? Like when you have small kids every two weeks? Can you carve out one night a couple of hours? Yeah. I mean, date night can mean different things. Is it harder when you have young children? Absolutely. Maybe you don't. And maybe let's say you don't have a babysitter or you have no family around to, to help you out to actually go out to dinner. There's other ways that you can do it. Like you can order something in, you know what I mean? Or do a date night cocktail night or something like that. I don't know. That's I don't know. That's what I, I do. Stuff like that. Like, hey, that's Friday night. Let's do this. And we're going to be at the bar or we're going to go into the cellar room and we're going to do something special and different. And that can be considered a date night, I think, just as much as it can buying an overpriced steak at some shitty restaurant. You're giving me uh, flashbacks to COVID. Yeah. Oh, let's it, have a date in the dining room tonight and you be the bartender and I'll be the customer. It is. But I got to say that since like kind of COVID was freed and my husband and I were able to go out to some places, we have another date night coming up uh, next weekend too, like a full weekend without, without the kids. And we're still going, yeah, it's really expensive though. Yeah. Like, I mean, what do we actually want to do and how much money do we want to spend? Okay. You know, date night usually involves a restaurant. I'm glad you mentioned that you said overpriced steak and the cost and that's all rel- all relevant. One thing I want to just throw tack onto that. When in the holy shit did it become okay to charge $16 for a pound of wings? Oh, get the fuck out of here, dude. I was at a. Pl- I remember when wings were 10 <laughs> cents each. O'Toole's on a Thursday night had 10 cent wings. You got 10 wings for a dollar as long as you had a beer in front of you. And now we're charging 16 bucks a pound. And never mind that a fucking drink. A drink. I was at a beautiful, beautiful spot over the weekend with girlfriends. And I bought a glass of wine that cost the same as a fucking bottle of wine I actually really like. Really? Yes. They charge me $17 for a nine ounce glass. And I thought I'd have a couple of really good bottles of wine and like an entire bottle for that same price. So uh, that's what gets me. It's those little things that do add up. I hate what they're doing with those. Uh, the thought of paying nine fifty for a pint of Coors Light or Molson Canadian actually makes yeah. me sick to my stomach. It's not right. I have draft beer at home and that keg costs me 120 yeah. bucks, but 20 bucks is a deposit. See? 100 bucks <laughs> and I get roughly 70 beers out of it. Yeah. You guys are charging 950 for a draft I, I, of Canadian? I, get the fuck okay. out of here. I and I know people are listening going, guys, it's a date night. You're supposed to treat yourself. Blah, blah. Yeah, that's when you go out for gelato <laughs> afterwards. You don't pay four times yeah. the cost for a beer. And I get the treat yourself thing. Don't get me wrong. I get the treat yourself thing. I try to do it as much as possible, you know, within means, within reason, but that is unreasonable, okay? That is not within reason because my husband and I will look at that bill after and go, what the fuck did we do that for? That was stupid. We Uh could have just, you know what I mean? So certain things absolutely be a part of your date night, but it doesn't need to, I'm just saying within your means because some people hear date night and they think, oh, I got to drop $300 every two weeks or whatever it is. Fuck that. No, you don't. There's other things you can do. And yeah, it's very COVID-ish. Go eat outside. Like have a nice dinner on your on your balcony or patio or whatever you have, uh, if you're able to. Or have a picnic. A picnic would be a cute idea. Then you can bring your own shit with you. Bread's expensive. <laughs> <laughs> 
what would be at your picnic? Like a sleeve of premium plus crackers? It's going to have to and be. And cheese whiz? That's all. <laughs> oh, even that's expensive, actually. Well, listen, when, when my girlfriend and I go out or when buddies and I go out, we go out and we do have the treat yourself philosophy. Sure. And no, I, I'm not going to like it. But if I want a beer, I'm going to have a beer, even if it does cost me $9 for something that's not worth nearly $9. But... If we go out and have a great time at, I don't know, Blue Bloods, Don Alfonso, like some great restaurants, Harbor 60s, another nice enough restaurant, mm-hmm. places like that. You expect it going in. You expect it going in. And you know that with tip, your bill's going to come to between 250 and 350 bucks. That's just the way it is by the time you add in a nice bottle of wine, a couple of cocktails, all that sort of shit. That's fine. But if I just want to, hey, you know what? I don't feel like cooking tonight. Let's go to... Uh, I don't know. Let's go to Kelsey's. Let's go to Boston Pizza. And we'll just grab an app and a couple of entrees and have a drink. When did that turn into a $120 bill? Yeah. Get the fuck out of That's here. It's also expensive. Come on. Yeah. But anyway, two or sorry, one date night every two weeks is the first two. Okay. Doable, guys. Doable, even if you're on a budget. The we se- think we've come to that conclusion. <laughs> the second two is a weekend away every two months. Somewhere, we're going somewhere every two months. Six times a year, you go away for a weekend. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm going to say I don't, I'm not, a, I don't like that one. They say it's a tough one, especially if you're a parent. If you can't swing it, just something a little more special than a normal date night would suffice. Doesn't even have to be an overnighter, hmm. but maybe uh, every two months you decide, you know what, we're going to do the uh, dinner and the casino or a concert or something like that. Either way, you're going to pay a lot of money. Yeah. But they say that that's what you should do. The third two is probably the easiest one. A full week away every two years. A full week. Like an all-inclusive or a trip to Europe every or something. Every two years. I think that that is doable. I think I, that's doable. I would think so, yeah. So again, it is a date night every two weeks, a weekend away every two months, and a week away every two years. Yeah. They say, if you can do those three things, that's what is going to keep the spark in your relationship. Hmm. Is it the actual being away or is it the lead up to it? I get kind of excited if I know, hey, it's oh, almost yeah. the weekend and I got plans with my girl or I got plans with my guy. Yeah, it is absolutely also the lead up to it. Then you get it looking forward to it. And it, yeah, absolutely. It's a little bit of both. It's almost moving season. Love moving season. Mm-hmm. I don't mean regular moving season. That usually happens around the end of June. People change places for summer, that sort of thing. Happens again a little bit in September. But I mean people moving into college and university dorms, especially for the first time. Now, you've never done this. I have. I had to do it twice. I had three times, sorry, because my son went to a prep school in America and I had to drive him there and as a teenager, leave him in another country and drive away, (laughs) feeling like the biggest bag of shit in the history of the world. I bet you did. And then I had to do it again when he went to university. I also had to do it with my daughter when she went to university. And then every year after that, oh, it's it's August. I got to do that big fucking drive up to Sudbury and drop my kid off for the year. It sucks. It really does. And we're learning a little bit more about college and university and post-secondary life. It was Texas Tech that studied this, and they found about 73%, three out of four of us, agree that college isn't just about academics. It's about learning life skills and Mm -hmm. learning to be an adult. Mm -hmm. So they asked people to name the hardest things about post-secondary. Getting good grades was number one. 
but it barely beat out the next three. Learning how to manage your time, have more responsibility, and living on your own. And the living on your own thing can be kind of fucked up, right? Sure. First time you're on your own, it's almost like it doesn't feel right. Like, I'm too young for this. This doesn't seem right. I remember thinking that. I got my first place when I was uh, when I was 20 years old. I had a, a condo. And I remember when it was just me thinking, no, this isn't right. Am I supposed right. to do my own laundry? Like, how does this work? Am I an adult yeah. now? I don't think I it's am. It's a strange one. It certainly is. But we'll come back to the actual moving process. 85% of people who have gone to post-secondary say it helped prepare them for real life. The top things it helped them with were organizational skills and figuring out what they were passionate about. And as for the degree itself, there's no shortage of people who end up switching their major, no shortage of people who go in and get a degree in one thing and then end up working in a field completely unrelated, mm-hmm. or people that just plain quit because they realize that course that's leading them to the <laughs> career is not what they want to do. We still joke. We still, the, the people I still uh, chat with that were in my college class still joke about the, the one girl that left partway through the first year that like never, that hardly showed up to anything and then finally just said, yeah, I don't think this is for me. He just like walked out, <laughs> literally got up in the middle of like a class and walked out the door and we never saw her again. That's amazing. Yeah, it's great. Hey, before, we, call, we call it pulling a Britney when you just get up and you walk out. You've already spent a lot before you'd sink another penny into that, that investment of yours. Ask yourself, am I going to benefit from this in any way down the line? Because if you don't like it now, you probably won't like it in the future. I did that to an elective class once. In the middle of the first day, I was like, I, I accidentally signed up for it, I think. It was like a civics class. What a fucking dumb idea that was. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of it, I, one of the guys that was sitting in front of me told us, oh, you don't like need to be here? We're like, no, no, not really. They were like, oh, there's this class at the same time. It's down the hall. And it seemed way more exciting. And we were like, can you transfer at any time? They're like, yeah, I did it last year. I was like, okay, bye. <laughs> I just got up in the wow. middle of the prof talking. And I left <laughs> Nice to meet you. And people call that pulling a cat. (laughs) Today, seven out of 10 people are still working in the field. They got their degree in. Okay. Hey. That's a good number. I I actually kind of don't believe that. I think it's a lot lower than that, or it's only loosely tied. Like, oh, I got a degree in English. And now I uh, do something that's loosely related to English, but it's not English. And that's the thing. And when you look at the industries as a whole, like a degree in finances or something, there's so many avenues you could take. You could Mm -hmm. have taken a different avenue, but in the same industry. But still, that's cool. There are some people who take a completely different career path. Business degree. Are you running a business or are you running somebody else's business? I mean, there's lots of different things you can do with that. Oh, I work in marketing. Yeah. Okay, well, that's tied to business, but it's not business per se. In any case... It all starts with when you get there. And for those who are moving in, because uh, I think we're about, what, two weeks away from when people can start moving think, into their res? Yeah, usually it is right around the 20th mark. We asked a question on our radio show today. When you moved in, it was moving day and you've hauled all your shit up the stairs because the elevator was broken or busy and and you've arrange things the way you want it. And I don't know, maybe one of your parents grabbed the Lysol wipes and wanted to clean everything down because who knows who was here last time. All that shit, every family that goes through this goes through the exact same thing. Maybe you did a little walk around the campus and showed everybody around and now here's the gift shop if you want to get a proud Laurier dad t-shirt or something like that. And the matching hat. (laughs) You know, like, sure. It's the same shit that we all go through. 
But the question was, what happens when they leave? Because mm-hmm. I can tell you from the parents' side, when they leave, it is one of the saddest moments of their lives. It's not a happy moment when they drop you off. It's actually sad. I was as the parent, like yeah. the parent's saddest moment. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Cat, when I when I closed the door and pulled away, I was just thinking I gotta hold it together until I get to the highway. And then once I get to the highway, maybe I'll feel a little differently, or maybe I'll be over it. No, never got like over fucking it. eight hours straight <laughs> <laughs> of just feeling like a giant douche. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's part of the process. And the, I remember I went with my parents when we dropped my sister off at the smallest dorm I've ever seen in my life. It was literally like a door and like, oh my gosh, there was barely space for a single bed. And it was Guelph Humber that she was uh, staying in res at. And I remember on the way home, my mom's like, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. I'm like, oh, here we go. But as a parent now, I could totally see that. I could see that, but mm-hmm. the but for the kid, they're probably like, you know, I love you, mom or dad and dad, whoever came. Love you guys. Thank you so much for everything. Thanks for the new duvet cover and the, all the shit that you gave me and the beanbag chair and the, all that shit. Get out. And then once you're out, it is one of those things where it's like, what to do next? That's why a lot of places will have stuff set up for you, right? So it's like, come to the meet and greet. Oh, it's you know? spirit day hey, today. Guys. What are the odds? Yeah. Yeah. Meet your meet your fellow residence members. We're going to have a tug of war in the quad. Ex- it's going to be great. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Frosh yeah. week stuff and all that junk. But there's definitely some not safe for work ones that came in when we talked about this this morning. Yeah, that was the question. What's the first thing you did when your parents left? You as the student. And Alex didn't say that I couldn't use his name, Alex. So I'm going to say, I'll tell you the first thing a guy's doing, especially if his roommates aren't arriving until the next day or something. How do you know for sure, by the way? Anyway, I think there's like a group chat. I think some people, when they find out who the roommate is, they'll start contacting each other like, hey, when are you moving in? Are you going to bring silverware or should I bring silverware? Do you have a microwave? Because I have a fridge. You that can sort of share shit. my this and yes. I'll share your that. Yeah. Don't touch my shit. Yeah. Do you have a Netflix yeah. subscription? Because I don't want to buy one. <laughs> <laughs> All of the things. Sure. He says, go to the bathroom with the door wide open. Then watch an X rated video with the volume up and not be scared of being caught. Oh, so did you just go in and jerk off? So you're that you're like, I'm going to make this is my bitch now. Two different people texted. The first thing they did was take a big shit. Take a what is it? Because is it it's nerves? your toilet now. Is it the nerves or like you want to christen it? Are you doing it on purpose or you can't help help yourself? Christen's a good word for it. Yeah. You got to break in your new bowl. And you probably did hold it for a little bit. You're probably a little emotional. Maybe the tummy's going a little bit. And yeah, you just feel like you need to get a little relief and clean out the colon. Two different people said the first thing they did when their parents left was just take a dump. Yeah, yeah, just take a dump. I don't know how you can do that. And not, what if the roommate did come back early or someone came in? Well, howdy, neighbor. I'd like to meet you. And then your whole room smells like shit. Fuck off. I'm pooping. (laughs) I'm nervous. Come back in half an hour. Uh, My roommate and I went to every floor to meet the rest of residents. Yeah. There's a lot of people that I went to school with when I when I visited them in res. It is amazing how quickly you become friends with everybody, even if it's a different floor than yours, because you, you you get a lot of time you get drunk and you wander. You're you're no, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old. So you're getting drunk and you're wandering around and meeting people. This is a great. Can I tell this story? This story is great. Yeah. Ronick says I was an RA in my fourth year. OK, so that's a resident assistant. And I believe you get if I'm not mistaken, you get a bit of a discount on your room rate. It's a pretty good discount. It's a pretty it's, good at discount, some schools, right? Is, yeah. yeah. So so right on. Why would you not? And it's fourth year. So you're like, you're over it. You're at that point. You're like, I'm good with being the person to tell you what to do because I don't want to party with you guys. 
So he says, one of the residents on my floor asked if we're allowed to have guests. During orientation week, that's a hard no. So I'm thinking he wants to have a friend over for the Friday night or something. He explained, no, it's not that. He says, my roommate's dad is living in the room too. I don't know what to do. He says, turns out this guy's dad, one of the students' dad, was sleeping on the floor at night and cleaning his son's room and doing laundry during the day to get him organized during orientation week. Get, get the, the fuck out of here. Get, wait, wait a second. Yeah. The dad was yeah. like, you know what? I'm just going to stay and help you, you out. You know what? Is that a dad problem or a kid problem? Is the kid that oh. much of a hot mess or is the dad just one that cannot cut the cord? It sounds like daddy can't cut the cord. Huh. I don't think any let's say 18-year-old, 19-year-old, in their right mind would be okay with daddy sleeping on the resident floor and be like, this is fine. No. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out if his kid's a little little heathen or, or if dad's just being really overprotective. Maybe the kid, maybe the dad is just so worried on making sure that this kid gets a good foot forward that he is going to, I am helping. I'm not going anywhere until you tell, prove to me you know how to do laundry and that you know where the calf is and that you can get your homework done and get to bed at a reasonable hour. Maybe it's something like that. It's I don't know. not good, though. It's like, not, not, not good, good ever. Could you imagine being an RA in that scenario and you're like 21, 22 years old and you're like, listen, 45-year-old man, you're going to have to get the fuck out of here. Yes. Uh, this is not okay. It's- Please visit the gift shop and get yourself a, <laughs> a proud dad hat and get the fuck out. <laughs> Uh, That's a good place to leave it for today. Have yourselves a fantastic hump day. It's going to be crazy hot. 40 degrees today with the humidity. Celsius for our American listeners. 40 Celsius. Gas is going down six cents a liter at midnight. So wait to fill up. Do not get gas today. Tomorrow, it should be in and around $1.739. Enjoy your day, everybody. Thanks for listening to After 9. Bye-bye. Amazon just started offering same-day deliveries from mall stores like Diesel, PacSun, and GNC. That's right. It's big news. Diesel is still in business. (laughs) Yeah, they're making deliveries from Diesel, PacSun, and apparently 2007. Tiger Woods turned down an $800 million offer to join the Saudi-backed Live Golf Tournament. Wow. He turned them down. Last time Tiger lost $800 million is when he dropped his wallet. Hey, <laughs> hey guys, I saw that over 100,000 pounds of frozen P.F. Chang's meals were recalled because they were mislabeled as food. No, <laughs> the After 9 Podcast is powered by Tony Johal, broker at REMAX Twin City. Your home sold guaranteed or he'll buy it. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.